Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Insatiable Appetite, the Hartman Group's podcast for people who are in the serious business of food, making it, marketing it, selling it, serving it, and probably also even eating it. I'm Stas Schechtman, Director of Strategic Insights, and I'm thrilled today to be speaking with Mark Oshima, co-founder and CMO of Aero Farms, which is one of the most exciting and innovative companies working in the vertical agriculture space that we've been following for a while. They've been named one of Fast Company's world-changing ideas for three years in a row, among a number of other accolades that they've received. And given all the initiatives that they're involved in, really well-deserved. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you may have heard a podcast we recorded with Mark back in 2019 when he joined a food and technology panel at our Anthropology Culture Trends Conference in Chicago. And we've been following Mark's work work of Aero Farms for a number of years, and uh, really excited to be chatting with him. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Well, excited to be here. Always happy to share an update, but also excited always to learn more about uh, the latest happening with you as well. I was thinking for listeners who aren't familiar with Aero Farms or maybe even with vertical agriculture, perhaps you can give a little bit of background, introduce the company, talk a little bit about the space that you're in. At AeroFarms, we've been pioneering and leading the way for indoor vertical farming uh, since 2004. We'll be the first to tell you this idea of growing indoors uh, in uh, repurposed buildings, the idea of being able to grow vertically, uh, stacking beds on top of each other. Uh, this is incredibly complex. And so when we think about what makes AeroFarms unique and different than any other grower out there in the world is that we've taken this expertise from the plant science uh, to the engineering, to the operations, to food safety, to first start with the basic premise of what does the plant need? And then how do we deliver the right environment around creating that uh, perfect growing uh, condition? And this is what's been really exciting for us in terms of how we grow. Uh, our global headquarters are in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, we have multiple farms there. We have uh, multiple farms in development, not only here in the United States, but uh, internationally as well. And this is fundamentally, how do we address these bigger macro issues that we see out there in terms of increasing population growth, increasing urbanization, increasing macro challenges uh, with growing outdoors, uh, access to water, you know, 70% of fresh water goes agriculture, 70% of the pollution is coming from agriculture due to the overuse of fertilizer and pesticides. Uh, we think about the loss of arable land, a third of uh, arable land has been lost over the last 40 years. Uh, we need new paradigms. And so this is a way that we're able to grow indoors all year round, enabling that local production, bring the farms right into the communities where the people are, to deliver a healthy, nutritious, delicious, you know, product. So this is an exciting time for us. Yeah, and and it's a, you're you're a really multifaceted company. There's there's a lot of different things that you're involved in research, a lot of different kinds of initiatives, um, and and I want to talk to uh, about a few of them. But but I also uh, wanted to to start with uh, one of one of the aspects or facets of your company, and that's you have a consumer facing brand. Of microgreens, in addition to all the research that you're doing, and a lot of partnerships, um, and and that brand uh, Dream Greens, uh, I, I believe in the past year or so, you've you've rolled out in in retail now, um, and and are now distributed in in some places in the on the East Coast, uh, Shoprite, I believe. Yeah, we've actually been in the market uh, with our Dream Greens brand. It's actually five years, and so uh, tremendous excitement around the product uh, sold. Uh, not just at uh, markets like Whole Foods, but also mass supermarkets like ShopRite, uh, major online uh, 
retailers as well, like Fresh Direct or Amazon Fresh. And so this is really about how do we uh, democratize access to good, healthy food, be able to think about local and be able to champion that local um, all year round. And so we're working with um, great retailers, uh, great food service partners like Baldor as well, in terms of, again, how do we get the product to, you know, really where our customers are and ultimately where the consumer is. Mm. So that telling out a little bit about that, that evolution into more of a, of a mass market um, and more of the, the mainstream retailers from some of that, uh, from the food service and, and some of the, sort of the natural specialty distribution where, that you had before. Well, it really starts with uh, what are the pain points in the industry? And so we think about um, where we think about what crops we grow and where we focus on. Um, our large-scale commercial farms are focused on uh, leafy greens. Uh, if we think about this category, 95% of it's either coming from California or Arizona, depending on the time of the year. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of headline news about food safety and food re- recalls uh, so because of some of the challenges of growing outdoors. And at the end of the day, you know, what those recalls mean is lost opportunity sales for our selling partners. And so uh, we think about a long-term partnership and collaboration with them, uh, how we can really pioneer this idea of just-in-time growing to be really efficient. Uh, how do we address you know, this uh, from a growing standpoint and efficiency? It's one of the ways we address uh, food waste as well. Uh, but it's a very different premise than that traditional field farmer that you know, grows it, takes it to the market, hopes to sell it. We actually are planting and growing specifically for our different partners and harvesting on a very specific schedule so that within 24 hours, it's on their shelf and in the consumer's home. And so we're working closely there. And so for us, yeah, this is not about having a niche product. Um, in addition to you know, the large retailers, you know, on the food service side, we're working with institutions. It's really, again, about how we can increase access to this healthier food. Mm. In you know being out there in, in five years, I'm sure that there's been a, a number of learnings in in bringing a vertical agricultural product to market, and then especially as you've been expanding, entering some of these more uh, mainstream mass market retailers. How how has your go to market strategy evolved, or your thinking about um, your launching and, and developing the brand? How has that evolved o- over time? And, and are there there been any kind of I don't know, any surprising learnings that, that you've had in, in launching and, and developing a brand of vertical vertical farming greens? At, at Aero Farms, we think of ourselves, um, you know, as being very data-driven and it applies to the marketing as well. So we do a lot of, um, not just secondary, but primary research, uh, really diving into the consumer insights, understanding the trends, developing specific consumer segmentations and personas to understand what are the key drivers for behavior. Um, and when we went to market initially, um, one of the things that we identified uh, was this opportunity to go under a different retail brand called Dream Greens. And it's something that <clears throat> at the time, it was an opportunity also looking at the competitive landscape. Uh, no one is really focusing on flavor, how we can celebrate that and really have uh, opportunity, you know, historically in, in, in vegetables and produce has been a commoditized product, but create a point of difference and putting flavor first and foremost at that mm. forefront you want to change behavior, you want to change consumption, you have to make something taste good. So how do you tell those stories and bring that to life? Um, what we've seen and what this has been incredibly exciting is, um, and this has been with our selling partners, whether it's at Whole Foods, that they've been leading with the story about our indoor farming, about the vertical farming. And what we've seen now is that there's this amazing response that we have seen from the consumer 
of them not just accepting, but leaning into and appreciating that, look, our food system is more challenged than ever before. Um, we have a tremendous amount of issues out in the field with access to water and droughts, um, pest pressure, that we need new paradigms. And the indoor vertical farming and the use of technology is about how do we can do better with more uh, and, and be able to do more with less and think differently. And so, you know, again, as a company, um, we're a certified B corporation. Uh, so we're thinking even more broadly than this, even the world of agriculture. Uh, and this goes back to what the consumer is looking for. They're looking for transparency, right? They, they want to know uh, where their food's coming from. They want to know what's gone into that growing process. And so we can offer um, really unparalleled levels of traceability, you know, from, from seed to fork and think about, again, new paradigms around food safety. But this level of control and precision is about how we can deliver a consistent, high-quality product all year round. And uh, when we talk about our team of expertise, uh, both our plant scientists, our engineers, our horticulturists, our food safety people, we even have nutritionists on staff. We're thinking holistically about that plant health, how it translates into human health. And then we can deliver this, though, all year round. I, I think we all know that sometimes, you know, there's a a little bit of the magic at the marketplace, you know, you have the farm stand and you get something that just, you know, picked at its peak flavor. Uh, but imagine you can get that every single time and that's what we deliver on. Mm. And, and, you know, it's true. You mentioned a number of different aspects of, of sort of how you think about that value proposition. And then you mentioned transparency was one, um, but yep. we've, we've had some conversations before where you also talked about putting things like flavor at the forefront, um, combining that with, with nutrition has, has, you're thinking about what these propositions mean or how to communicate them or how you tap into them. Is that sort of evolved over the years? Um, you know, specifically thinking about, for example, transparency and how you communicate that, um, especially in light of sort of the expanding conversations that we have now around the impacts of pesticide and pollution and soil health and, and all these sort of broader connections that consumers are making between their individual health and environmental health in, in sort of more sophisticated, nuanced ways, some cases. So it, it, has your thinking around those evolved and, and sort of how you're tapping into those um, from your particular angle? Yeah, I mean, it always starts with the consumers. It's now a neither a, an either or proposition. This is like, and, and so how do we deliver a product um, that's local, that's the number one trend at retail, right? It's bigger than organic, it's bigger than anything else. <clears throat> how do we deliver it with zero pesticides versus organic, which actually uses pesticides as well. The consumer at the end of the day, they're looking for this clean product. And again, our way of growing indoors, there's no soil to wash off. There's no chemicals to wash off. This is a ready to eat product. There's no washing needed. And so there's a tremendous amount of convenience, you know, that goes into that. Um, what's behind all that is an amazing operation. When we think about world-class operators, food safety, um, everything has been codified. There's, um, hundreds of different standard operating procedures on how to run a farm. And so this is what allows us to think about where we put the farms, we can create and teach, you know, community members to be farmers. And how do we then think about, you know, the right kind of operations for both what's called good agriculture practices and good manufacturing practices, and, you know, really lead the charge on setting a, a new higher you know, standard for food safety as well. Uh, I do want to just mention that one of the things we're trying to do is, uh, we've been one of the founding members of something called the CEA, which is Controlled Environment Agriculture Food Safety Coalition, that is aimed at, we're over 30 different members, about how do we create new standards um, and set you know, new higher bars. And this is a certification that we'll be rolling out um, in Q2 
that we've played a key role along with some of the key other indoor growers. And we've worked closely with FDA, uh, with CDC to help on the education um, around, you know, why is this needed? And, you know, for the last two years, I've been on the FDA Romaine Advisory Task Force and seeing firsthand what are the challenges with the field growing, and, but particularly on the processing side where there's a lot of co-mingling of product, you know, how do you ensure that integrity? And so this indoor vertical farming, as well as the overall CEA, we can really lead the charge on, on, on new safety as well. Which is a really interesting development because it, it makes me think of sort of a number of emerging certifications that, that are changing the conversation out there, right? There's the recent regenerative organic certification that, that's yeah. now out and there's brands launching under that. Uh, there's the, the Upcycled Food Association in America has sort of defined, set some standards there and, and are thinking about coming out with these certifications. So for you, how do you think, how do you imagine this, this certification is going to, to change the conversation, um, especially, you know, given that, that some of these other certifications like the regenerative um, agriculture uh, one, right? It's a very kind of, well, I don't know what to call it, soil-based, right? Soil-based agriculture. And here you are in this sort of very different approach here. So how do you sort of anticipate these, this changing the conversation? Well, first and foremost, um, I mean, I think, you know, the regenerative um, organic certification is the result of an appreciation that organic doesn't go far enough in terms of thinking about really the externalities in terms of, again, uh, farming methods, uh, water usage, uh, tilling. These are things that are really important. And then there's the use of pesticides. It's just a reality in terms of large-scale commercial organic. Um, Not only are there natural, but there's also some synthetic pesticides that are approved for use in organic production. So the regenerative is trying to then take this to the next step, back to the true spirit. And you mentioned soil-based. Well, we think we actually are really, you know, really strong stewards of the environment and of the soil because our proposition is to allow that soil to remediate and, and, and not till it, not release carbon, you know, from that standpoint. So we're able to, I think, appreciate and celebrate the same ideals about Look, we need you know to do more you know for the environment, uh, and we think that our way of growing using up to ninety five percent less water, using no pesticides, using just a fraction of the fertilizer, is uh, again respecting that uh, you know the environmental consideration, um, and that's really built into our DNA as an organization. Mm. It, it, it's interesting because you mentioned this this notion of the consumer. You've discovered consumers leaning in to this, leading into this kind of technological notion. And I think we've talked about before this, this tension culturally between this, this desire to return to Eden, this kind of bucolic, idyllic notion of the farmer and technology that's sort of on the one hand, that, that's seen as both in some cases the cause of a lot of our problems, but also the, the solution. Uh, and, and, you know, as a lot of brands have talked about soil and agriculture, Part of that narrative of connecting to consumers is through through that kind of land. So, for for you thinking about Aero Farms, how do you see yourself connecting to consumers um, when right there's not necessarily that that conventional farmer in the front? You know, I'm thinking you go to a, a farmers market and and have that experience of connecting with the producers, or go to the grocery store and you see the kind of posters of a farmers and, and those local ones, you know, are there, are there going to be vertical farmer markets in the future? I mean, how do you, how do you think about, you know, connecting with consumers from your particular perspective? 
Well, we actually do have our own farm stand <clears throat> that the community come in and get access to freshly harvested produce all year round. And so uh, it's making that connection. And at the end of the day, it's telling the story about the people. And so, you know, we're creating jobs, we're creating year round employment, fair wages, fair benefits, our team members um, who may not have ever entertained the idea of farming, we're providing these new opportunities in, in inner city and urban environments. And it's creating a connection with their food ultimately, right? And so, you know, we'd like to think of, you know, we're by the community for the community in terms of, you know, the work we're trying to do. Uh, where we put our farms uh, is a big part of our thesis and how do we address, you know, food deserts and access to healthy food. Um, and we also have uh, a history of uh, work within the community uh, through a number of different efforts. Um, one of the ones that we're incredibly proud of is our New Jersey Reentry Program, providing uh, opportunities for second chance opportunities for previously incarcerated people to provide, you know, career opportunities and provide a path of development there. Uh, but one of the things that we've had for over 10 years is a working indoor vertical farm and in, in inner city school in Newark at Phillips Academy Charter School. And it's operated by the students. It's a kindergarten through eighth grade program. And the amazing thing is it's right in their dining hall. And so when you talk about the shortest farm to table experience around for the students, um, they're able to actually see it. And because it's such an accelerated growing process, uh, because we're able to give the plant exactly what it needs, for baby leafy greens, as an example, out in the field, it may take 30 to 45 days to grow, depending on the time of the year or the sun. And we're able to grow in uh, 14, uh, even 12 days. So we're talking about um, a third or half of the time that it would take in, in, in the field. And so the kids are seeing very tangible results. It's very real in terms of, again, seeing the product that they're planting and creating amazing connections with their food. And it's exciting to see you in terms of, again, um, how that changes behavior, not only in the school, but then the amplification into the family and then into the community. And so um, we've talked about uh, developing the next generation of our farmers, you know, through programs like this, but also our consumers. And so uh, what people are most excited about when we think about, again, how do we go to market is celebrating that flavor, celebrating that, that taste uh, and the varieties. And we're setting this new bar. I mean, people you know, they call our customer hotline. They're like, is this what arugula should taste like? It's so peppery. And I'm like, well, that's what we're focusing on. Uh, we've done, you know, demos in stores and we've had consumers doing a dance around our kale. Uh, it's so sweet. It's tender. And it's like no massaging needed. And these are things you can't script, right? This is amazing in terms mm -hmm. of like, this is typically a very low involvement category. There's a reason why salad dressings are such a huge category right, you know, right. in, the, in the market because they're not only trying to mask or cover up. And here, our high bar is no salad dressing needed. What we're doing is actually creating new eating occasions, snacking, grazing. People are eating the greens right out of the package all day long. And so it's exciting to see how they're embracing it, you know, for all, all meals, but creating new occasions as well. So it starts with, you know, making a great tasting product and then be able to uh, tell that story. Yeah, really interesting as well. A lot of the things that you were talking about, about there as well, even to the, the point of, you know, the next generation of farmers. Um, thinking about who are those next generation of farmers is, is farming even a proposition, an interesting proposition for a new generation of farmers um, there. Well, absolutely. And this is what's exciting for us in terms of, you know, when we go to campus um, uh, we've been fortunate where we're creating a lot of buzz on campus and, you know, getting a lot more uh, interest than say the traditional, you know, um, you know, tech companies. Why? Because it's no longer just writing an app, but you're creating something 
you know, that's very real. And it's about food. It's about community. It's about bringing people together, how you nourish that. And people are looking more and more for meaning, right? In terms of the work they do and how it translates into their lifestyle. And so um, I'll give you an example. You know, we're building out a farm in Abu Dhabi in the UAE. Uh, the general manager role, we had 10,000 applicants. I mean, it's an incredible wow. number, you know, in terms of um, the luxury of being able to look at incredible, incredible people. Uh, but it just speaks to the demand and interest and excitement and then how we can create new jobs and, and have people reimagine what, what farming is all about. Yeah. I, I'm curious, you know, over the past year, in, in a number of different ways, the pandemic has, has impacted supply chains in the food system, both in ways that consumers are, are very much aware of in some ways, sort of less, less consumer facing industry. And I'm thinking about the, you know, everything from labor volatility, to the impact on, on people out in the fields um, to the images of huge amounts of waste of a food that, that the media has shown has, has, how has COVID, if at all, sort of shaped your thinking and, and the development of, of Aero Farms over the past year? Has it at all? Well, there are a couple of things that, you know, we have appreciated more and more. Um, first and foremost, our, our team has really embraced this mantle as an essential worker and the impact and the importance of our work and the idea that, you know, we are feeding um, and nourishing the community. And so, we're excited to share that, you know, since COVID um, developed, you know, we've been in operation every single day. Um, we've been growing. Um, we were able to pivot very quickly. When you talk about these accelerated growing cycles, uh, we're able to change our product mix up very quickly. And so while food service had at that time disappeared and, you know, is still quite limited, uh, our retail has expanded tremendously. And so we were able to pivot quickly and adjust and our focus on that. And so uh, it's put a big spotlight though on the interdependency, the complexity of our supply chain. Um, the buyers were calling us saying, we don't have product. Can you get us more product? Mm. And so, you know, it's a tough proposition for us in many respects because what we're selling is about consistency and to set capacity. And so how do you flex up and down? And how do you think about uh, these situations? And so you know, it's about developing the right long-term relationships and partnerships. So we were able to pivot and, and be able to direct more product to retail. Uh, but it just speaks to like, when we think about our pipeline of farm development, you know, how do we accelerate that? Those are areas that we continue to focus on because there's more demand than we have supply. And we're thinking about, again, how do we best meet that? And so COVID has uh, definitely put a spotlight on it. And, you know, we've had to learn, you know, how to be responsive, you know, within that um, uh, set of situation. Right, right. You know, we, we were talking about a, a number of different things, and I, and I started off by talking about how multifaceted AeroFarms is, and there's a number of really kind of unique and fascinating initiatives that you're involved in, um, specifically a couple. There's the, the work around food deserts um, that you're involved in um, and, and some work around food waste as well, uh, a couple of the things that you mentioned as we were talking. Tell me a little bit about about those initiatives and, and um, what, what they entail. Yeah. So this is um, an area that we continue as a company thinking about again, uh, particularly on the food waste you know, standpoint, um, how do we think differently? Uh, and one of the areas is we're able to do a second harvest. And so 
our product is harvested. We have our grade A product that's going into our package, but we're able to do a second harvest that normally out in the field would be left. You wouldn't be able to recover it in, a, in an efficient way. Uh, so we're able to do a second harvest of, of leafy greens, but also stems and get some really fantastic biomass that has high nutrient density uh, and great flavor profiles. Uh, and we worked um, this past summer uh, with an initiative that was funded out of the refed program but working with a couple of great organizations and partners that we've uh, have worked with. Uh, one of them is Table to Table, which is a, uh, a food pantry program that's able to distribute product uh, to those in need in here in Northern New Jersey. Uh, but we also work with a company called Matriarch Foods, which is very much focusing on how to upcycle uh, product. And we, together we created uh, this healthy stew uh, using these stems and products. And uh, it was a program that was in response to COVID relief and be able to get more nutritious food out to uh, families in need. And the idea that putting it into a soup form, uh, more sh more shelf stable than uh, leafy greens are quite perishable, but how do you deliver that great nutrient content? So these are initiatives like this, uh, but we've had initiatives like this with great partners like Compass Group and, and Russian Associates, where the second harvest uh, has even been served, for example, in the dining room of the New York Times. Um, mm. And thinking about that storytelling, again, incredible flavor, incredible texture, incredible, you know, story behind it. And, you know, these are programs that we constantly are challenging ourselves with in terms of, again, uh, we've shared with you in the past, this concept of root to leaf, right? And again, how do you think, how do we monetize? Uh, but more fundamentally, it's like, how do you eliminate waste? And part of this, when we talk about our DNA is thinking about the circular economy. Um, you know, our CEO, David Rosenberg, uh, had the first ever cradle to cradle certified product. Um, he founded and co-founded and has been leading the World Econ Economic Forum's uh, Global Cir Circular Economy Task Force. And this is always how we think of it. We've been part of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, Circular Economy 100. Um, so these ideals about how do we do more with less, this idea that, you know, I mentioned using less water. Uh, one of the things that's pretty fascinating about our growing medium, it's made out of cloth. So it's not soil, uh, but this cloth is a reusable medium. So again, just fundamentally, you know, changing that equation. Uh, but this cloth is actually made out of recycled water bottles that we've taken out of the waste stream mm. and created something green and productive out of that. And so that's just an example of that lens of thinking about um, where we can in, in integrate the circular economy uh, and programs and initiatives that we can do with the upcycling um, as part of that lens and focus and getting great partners uh, like Matriarch Foods as well as Table to Table. Uh, because at the end of the day, you need to be able to efficiently get product out. And that's um, yeah, that last mile, you know, is one of the things that we're very much focused on. Uh, I, I want to highlight another initiative that we're doing. You, know, you mentioned work in the community. Uh, we actually are working with the World Economic Forum on their Healthy Cities and Communities Initiative that identified mm -hmm. four cities. One of them is Jersey City where we have uh, rolled out what is the first municipal farming building in the United States. And here we're partnering with the city of, New of Jersey City to be able to actually have distributed farms throughout New Jersey, uh, throughout Jersey City, 10 different farms that are gonna be showing up in municipal buildings uh, like city hall or uh, senior assisted living or schools that the farms will be operated by the community and the food that's grown will be given to the community for free. So amazing opportunities to have impact in the community and, and see how this can scale uh, from that standpoint as well. So we think, how do you address that last mile? Well, we're going to put the farm right into the community, you know, and, and help bridge that and help create that connection with the food even more. 
Which is really fascinating. And, and it, it makes me think there was a, an article not too long ago in, in Wired where it was talking about the emergent development of, of vertical farming and what was raising some questions there that I think that the, your, these initiatives really speak to. Uh, and specifically, those questions were, were about the accessibility of vertical farming. Some of these questions of, is vertical farming as, as appealing and interesting as a solution as it is? Is it too much on the fringe to really address some of these bigger issues of impending food crises and, and accessibility? And it, and it sounds like you're, you're thinking about, about those in, in these initiatives. So do you have any other thoughts in terms of sort of the, the future ability of, of vertical farming to be? A solution to, to be accessible? Yeah, well, first and foremost, um, it's going to take multiple approaches, and field farming is not going away. Um, and we think what we want to do, though, is serve as a catalyst to think again how to do more with less, what are the lessons that we can apply. And the work we're doing is no longer about just indoor vertical farming, it's about a broader agriculture uh, arena. And so, some of the things that we're doing, like how to make this more accessible. Um, you know, we've grown over 550 different types of crops and thinking about uh, where we can add value. Sometimes it's on the genetics, sometimes it's on the propagation, sometimes it's actually on the, the finished goods. How do we think, you know, about delivering um, a better product and where we can add value? So this goes back to your point on what's the right business model. Uh, and there's different stages where we can have, you know, the right kind of thesis and, and, and lens there. Um, our core focus, the core engine, the core thing driving our entire um, business is really around our leafy green business. How do we build more of these farms? Uh, we've gotten the economics down where it's priced at the exact same price you know, as the field-grown product. And so uh, that's a major inflection point. And what we're doing, though, is fundamentally changing the value proposition as well. So if you think about that field-grown product, you know, it's traveling all that long time. The shelf life is compromised. Um, washing is a very aggressive, you know, when you see something that says it's triple washed, you know, there's trying to wash off the soil and the chemicals, but it's also very aggressive. And so that helps contribute to that product breaking down. So by offering uh, and not having to wash, you know, enabling this local production, you know, we have a better product that can hold up. It, it's changing that value proposition for packaged salads. And there's been a lot of discussion. You're talking about food waste that people think about like, oh, 40% of food is being thrown out for packaged salads. It's up to even 50%. So all of a sudden, if you can think about changing that, and we have by enabling this local production, by not having to uh, stress the plants, you know, with that uh, complex supply chain or that washing, uh, the consumer is actually able to enjoy and eat our product. So that's mm -hmm. fundamentally changing that. But then, oh, by the way, you're offering varieties that you normally can't get all year round, flavor, more nutrition as well. This is amazing for when we think about building a really a, a new category of food for the consumer. And so... Um, we think that, you know, it's how you frame the discussion and how you frame the problem where we think vertical farming can have an impact without question. Right. Is there a future beyond leafy greens? Yeah. Yeah. So we announced actually uh, last week, a major partnership with Hortifruit. This is the largest berry company in the world. Uh, we're going to be, it's a multi-year partnership where we're going to be focusing on blueberries um, but again, when we talk about having grown over 550 different types of crops, it doesn't mean we grow everything commercially, but we're trying to see, you know, where we can unlock value. And so we see huge opportunities in not only, you know, the world of food and these other categories, 
uh, but anything plant-based. And so this idea of pharmaceutical, cosmeceutical, nutraceutical, uh, we're working and collaborating. Uh, really one of the key pillars for the company is our R&D. Uh, we're doing proprietary research with Fortune 500 companies, helping them solve their ag supply chain needs. So for us, and taking this expertise in leafy greens, which has been our beachhead, it's allowing us then to be able to unlock value in, in new categories and in new areas of business. That's, that's really fascinating. Thinking about the future, I know there's there's also a, a whole range of initiatives that you're involved in. Anything exciting on on the uh, on the horizon we should look out for? Well, we really wanted to be able to share with you, Stas, and your audience. I mean, when we talk about this convergence of some of the different trends, the interest in AeroFarms, interest in technology, what role can technology play? Uh, we actually are going to uh, take a very different approach about how we go to market moving forward and thinking about uh, our proposition, our story. So we actually are going to be sunsetting our Dream Greens retail brand and announcing here with you for the first time, we're going to be rolling out a brand new uh, unified approach using just the AeroFarms brand. And it's an opportunity for us to be able to leverage you know, this incredible legacy and history we've had with AeroFarms. Uh, we're the only farming and food company in the world that's been recognized by Fast Company uh, not only for most innovative companies and world-changing ideas, but also by best uh, by Time Magazine for best inventions in food. Uh, we have tremendous amount of awareness um, around the company, uh, both here as well as internationally, and so we're going to have a unified brand approach. And so for us, this is really representative of an exciting inflection point for the company to have this unified brand approach, be able to uh, share our story about the product uh, and how we're growing it and uh, why it's a better product for the consumer. That, that's exciting. Well, we will look out for, for that change and, and for the, uh, the new AeroFarms brand. Um, Mark, I, I want to thank you. I feel like there's still a ton of topics and questions that, that, that are really fascinating to, to talk about, but I really want to thank you for, for joining me today and, and sharing these developments. It's always great to talk to you about your work. Well, thank you again for the opportunity, and you know, it's always exciting to be able to share. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to The Insatiable Appetite.